Blog Talk Radio. talking about the millennial reign prophecy i invite you to listen live at 12 p.m central time that's 1 p.m eastern every sunday to this pgn prophetic grace network program secrets revealed understand the book of revelation from start to finish in october of 2023 analysis and discussion of the millennial reign prophecy with me, your Book of Revelation research scientists are happening live on PGN on Sundays at 12 noon Texas time and on Thursdays at 10 a.m. Texas time. Please consider sharing your perspective. Consider posing a question about the Book of Revelation during the live Internet broadcast. You can do that using our PGN phone number for this program, which is one three one nine five two seven six zero two seven. Note that there are two PGN phone numbers. So if you're calling in during the week to listen to our uh, our main service, our main program, that's Prophet Randy Chandler, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night at nine p.m. Texas time, ten p.m. Eastern time. That's a new phone number. One three one nine five two seven six seven three seven. Okay, so the last uh, three digits are different. If you're listening to the main program Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night with Prophet Randy Chandler, that phone number is one three one nine five two seven six seven three seven. If you are listening to the rest of PGN programming. So if you're listening to Terrence and Tanisha, you're listening to Deborah, you're listening to uh, Carmen, you're listening to Lashoon, you're listening to Jeannie, then you want to use uh, this phone number. That's the phone number you can use right now, one three one nine five two seven six zero two seven. You know, I've noticed that I feel better. My thinking is clearer. Uh, My thoughts align more closely with the thoughts of God when I hear the word of God and when I hear others talking about and discussing the word of God. So I invite you and encourage you to figure out how to get more PGN into your life on a daily basis. So, of course, there are the live Internet broadcasts on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, usually seven days a week. There's some live Internet programming on PGN. But you can also listen every day using the archive. You can go to Apple Podcasts and download previously uh, recorded programs. 
you can also go to the Blog Talk site. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash live prophetic. Uh, for this particular program, again, this is Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from Start to Finish. I'm your PGN host, the Book of Revelation Research Scientist, And it's time for us to get to analysis and discussion of the millennial reign prophecy. Now, what are we talking about when I say prophecy? We're talking about soon coming future realities. So it's one thing for a person to generate a prophecy, which is essentially a prediction based on past information, right? So we would call that in science a hypothesis, okay? Uh, In the Christian world, we call it a prophecy. Um, So that's one thing. But a different thing, another thing, a more useful thing is to find out from the Word of God what our omniscient God, our all-knowing God, has communicated through his servants, the prophets, about the future. Note that time exists within God. So for that reason, God can go backwards in time, be with you and I in the present, and go forward in time because all of time exists within God. God decided that he would share with his servants, the prophets, future events, future realities in the past so that we would know what was going to happen in our future. Let me say that again. God already knows the future. He shared the future with some prophets in the past so that you and I right now can know what's coming up. Who were some of the prophets he shared information with? Zechariah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Haggai, Joel, Jonah, and John the Revelator. Okay, that's not an exhaustive list, but just pointing out God's been talking, uh, Daniel, to his prophets, his servants, the prophets, for thousands of years. We're going to focus on what was communicated to John the Revelator. He had a very unique experience. So the Bible is the word of God. It's infallible. Friend and truth seeker, you have to begin there. You have to know that the Bible is infallible. You must know that all scripture is inspired by God. He used, as I heard uh, one teacher say, different secretaries. Today we'd say different admin admin associates. Or maybe we'd say he used different editorial assistants. Okay, so he used different editorial assistants. uh, But he is the same author. For that reason, prophecies 
quote-unquote written by Daniel line up 100% with prophecies written by John hundreds of years later. Now we're going to talk about the prophecies written by John the Revelator today. The book of Revelation is the pinnacle book in the Holy Bible. It is book number 66. It tells of the triumph over the mark of the beast, which is 666. It documents 77777. What's that? Seven letters to seven churches. Seven seals. Seven trumpets. Seven final plagues. And the ultimate, the sounding of the seventh trumpet. That's when we transition from mortality to immortality. That's when we participate in the marriage of the Lamb. That's when the first resurrection occurs here on this present earth for all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now we're going to talk about one of the prophecies documented by John the Revelator. Consider this. If you go to see the new Leonardo DiCaprio movie, which I'm hoping to go see it, if you go to see that movie, you will see moving pictures with sound. And we call a moving picture with sound when it's external to ourselves, when it has been created by someone other than ourselves. In other words, it's not self-generated and in our mind's eye. It's a real tangible thing, a real tangible experience we have when we see the thing, which is moving pictures with sound. We call that today a movie. If the movie contains uh, true events only, we call it a documentary. So John the Revelator was shown moving pictures with sound that contain true events only. Future true events, events that are sure to come to pass. Well, you might say, how can we be sure that what John the Revelator saw is sure to come to pass? Well, let's go to Revelation 22. After he was shown 12 documentaries, after he was shown 12 documentaries by an angel of the Lord assigned to show him these documentaries in heaven. They're referred to as visions. They're moving pictures with sound. They were external to himself, essentially documentaries. After John the Revelator was shown visions, documentaries in heaven by an angel of the Lord, this is what that angel said to him. Quote, and we're in Revelation 22, verse 6. The angel said to John the Revelator after he showed him these 12 visions, these 12 documentaries, quote, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets 
has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. So number one, the angel communicates 100%. Everything means everything. Every includes all. So we're at 100% of what John the Revelator was shown, the angel told him, is trustworthy and true. In other words, you can trust, I can trust, we can trust that what we are about to hear in the millennial reign prophecy is accurate, that it is in fact something that will happen in our future, and it's already happened in God. Remember, all of time, past, present, and future, exists within God. So it hasn't happened for us yet, but for God, it has already happened. Everything in this millennial reign prophecy that we're about to hear is trustworthy and true. The angel also told John the Revelator, the Lord God who inspires his prophets. John the Revelator was one of his prophets, not the only one. It says, the Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. So this angel was sent to tell John, to show John, to communicate to John what would happen soon. Now, how did he tell him? He, sh- he told him by showing him visions, moving pictures with sound, Moving pictures with sound, these were pictures from the future. Real events. He was shown documentaries. By my analysis, he was shown 12 12 of them. By my analysis, uh, I believe he was shown 12 of them all in a row. Uh, Let me do a quick sidebar. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite, one of my favorite movie series is Planet of the Apes. In May of 2024, the new Planet of the Apes is coming out, and it's basically a countdown for me at this point. I'm counting down until the day of its release. I'm hoping to go on day one, which I think will be on a Wednesday. Relevance for us right now. Some years ago, they had a Planet of the Apes marathon that they showed at the AMC Theater in the state that I live. And so they had three Planet of the Apes that they showed back to back to back. And if you purchased this special uh, thing that they had, you got a poster, you got to watch all three movies. Um, It was very exciting. I absolutely loved it. I'm hoping that that's going to uh, happen again. I don't know about that yet. What do I know? What do we know for sure? John the Revelator had an experience like that, but it was better than the one that I had because I was watching uh, fictitious events for the purposes of entertainment, three movies in a row. John the Revelator was shown three movies, three documentaries, not three, He was shown 12 documentaries all in a row. Now, they were very short. They were very short. If you ever go to any of these uh, film film conferences or or film institutes, I don't know exactly what they're called, 
But uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area, they have those sometimes. Some of these uh, documentaries and movies, they're filmed short. Not all of them are 90 minutes or two hours, or like the new Leonardo DiCaprio movie, which I hear is three hours. So he was shown 12 documentaries. Some are longer than others. Some are longer than others. The shortest uh, the shortest documentaries John the Revelator was shown are the 144,000 First Fruits Prophecy and the Dead Judge Prophecy. Those are the shortest. The longest documentaries he was shown are the Seven Seals Prophecy and the Seven Trumpets Prophecy. Those are those are the longest. Okay. Now we are about to go to the millennial reign prophecy. We have established that what it is is a documentary that John the Revelator was shown. Now if somehow we could get in a time machine, perhaps we could go to where John the Revelator was and accompany him on his trip to heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, he tells us exactly how it all happened. He was actually called up to heaven. Supernaturally, he was transported to heaven, and he tells us what he saw in heaven. Then in chapter 5, he, he has written down in words all the documentaries he was shown. Now, if you and I were able to get in our time machine, a time machine, I don't have a time machine. If you have one, would you text me to tell me about it? Um, if we were able to get in a time machine and go back to the Isle of Patmos that day, when John the Revelator was living in his mortal body on this present earth and he was supernaturally transported to heaven, perhaps we could accompany him. And if we did and we had on our person our cell phone, when the angel of the Lord shows or showed him these visions, they were external to John the Revelator, we could whip out our cell phone and and we could hit the record button. John the Revelator didn't have your cell phone or my cell phone or a video camera. He didn't have a uh, a fancy recording device, but he had a a primitive recording device. What was it? A writing utensil and parchment. So he used the combination of the primitive recording device that existed at that time, primitive relative to what we have today. And so he wrote down, just as he was instructed to do, he wrote down everything he saw and heard. Hallelujah. He was obedient. He followed that instruction. He carried out the mission. You know, he did a Charlie Mike. He did a Charlie Mike, continued the mission, and he succeeded. Now, what was his mission? His mission was to document for future generations. Document for future generations the documentaries that show the end of the world and the beginning of 
the eternities of eternities. So in the Bible it says the end of the world is coming soon. I believe that's in First Peter. The end of the world is coming soon. What's that? This present earth is under the curse. How do we know? The beautiful tree is subject to death. Your wonderful cat, your wonderful horse, your wonderful dog is likely to precede you in death. Why? The world is under a curse. You yourself, I myself, we live in a mortal body. So we are also under the curse. Now, what's the end of the world? The end of the world is the end of the curse. It's the end of everything that has the curse in it. At the end of the world, we transition to after time. So at the end of the world, we go to a new earth. And there will be new heavens. This is documented. This is, this is part of John's work. He was shown this. It's included in one of the documentaries he was shown. At the end of the world, we're in the eternities of eternities. All five of God's enemies have been destroyed, and we transition to a new earth and new heavens. So the book of Revelation is very important. The last three prophecies, and we're going to look in uh, today. In October, we're focusing on prophecy number 10. In November, prophecy number 11. In December, prophecy number 12. Let me say that again. In October, we're focused on prophecy number 10. That's the millennial reign prophecy. In November, we're focused on prophecy number 11, the dead judged prophecy. And in December, prophecy number 12, the new earth prophecy. These three prophecies focus on what happens after Jesus Christ fights and wins the battle of Armageddon. So we are at... The beginning of that today, because we're on prophecy number 10, but all three of these prophecies hang together. You can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash live prophetic to get the one-page basic study notes. They are there, of course, I'm at no charge. Everything at PGN is free. There's no merchandising of the Word of God at PGN. I wish there was no merchandising anywhere. Now, we're about to hear the millennial reign prophecy. Let's do a countdown. Let's let's count backwards. What am I saying? Let's go to the end of the thousand years, the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ, and then work backwards to the Battle of Armageddon has just been fought and won. Okay, so we're going forward in time. It's um, Jesus Christ has re- returned. The first resurrection has happened. The Battle of Armageddon has been fought and won. The government of Jesus Christ has been established on this present earth. 
and now we're at year 1,000. Let's say uh, 1,000 ARC, 1,000 after the return of Christ. Let's say it that way, 1,000 ARC, 1,000 years after the return of Christ. Okay. The Millennial Reign Prophecy is Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. Revelation chapter 20, 1 to 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. I think that uh, all translations are useful. I appreciate that some of you have a favorite translation. I'm not against that. Uh, Just letting you know which translation I'm sharing from today. Uh, I tend to look at the Amplified Classic as well as the New Living Translation. I think if you're looking at any translation of God, that's a good start. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. All right, verse 10 of Revelation chapter 20. So we're at the very end of the thousand years. What does it say? Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's very interesting. So the devil is thrown into Gehenna. That's the lake of fire. That's the second death. That's the permanent death at the end of the thousand years, the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth. So we call that the millennial reign. Uh, One thousand years is uh, a millennium, right, like one one one-thousand-year period. So it's called often the millennial reign of Christ. Of course, the reign will continue beyond the thousand years, but we're talking about the first thousand years. Um, that means that the devil existed and was not destroyed. That means that the devil had not experienced destruction despite the fact that Jesus Christ is here on this present earth. That's really important for folks to to know. Some people think Well, once Jesus comes back, all problems are solved. No, 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 no. All problems are not solved. The beginning, the beginning of the destruction of God's five enemies happens with the return of Jesus Christ, but it takes a little bit more than a thousand years end of the world to come. Now, why do we want the end of the world to come? Because we want to transition not only to immortality, uh, a perfected body, but we also want to transition to a perfected earth. We don't transition with both of those things in place, a perfected, immortal, glorified body plus the new earth until after all five of God's enemies are destroyed. So 
here we are a thousand years into a thousand years ARC, a thousand years after the second return of Christ, and finally Satan has been destroyed. Now God is smarter than me, and I believe He's smarter than you too. Some people might say, "Well, why doesn't He destroy Satan right now, or as soon as He comes back?" I don't know the answer to that question. I think it is a good question, but we do know the answer to this question. When will Satan be destroyed? A thousand years after the return of Jesus Christ, Satan is destroyed. Now, how is he destroyed? Verse 10 again says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. He's destroyed with the second death. How do we know that's the second death? Revelation 20, verse 14 says, this lake of fire is the second death. So all five of God's enemies go to the lake of fire. The strategy of God for destroying his enemies is to place them in the lake of fire. Note that no created human or entity by God can ever be uncreated. The worst that can happen for the creation, and this is a really bad thing, the worst that can happen for the creation is that it can be forever separated from God and forever separated from God is referred to as eternal damnation. The worst thing that can happen to you or me or an angel of the Lord, any any created any created thing by God is that it can be forever separated from God. Now, that is destruction. So destruction isn't experiencing the first death. Destruction is experiencing the second death. The second death is when a created entity, such as a human being or a fallen angel, is thrown into the lake of fire, Gehenna. That's permanent. That's forever. That's the second death. So what does it mean right here in this millennial reign prophecy Finally, when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, that's his destruction. It's permanent. We will not need to think about or talk about Satan ever again. However, at the return of Jesus Christ, we will need to still think about Satan again, and we'll see why uh, in a moment. But once he's destroyed at the end of the thousand years, that's the end of him, note that, his destruction was preceded by the destruction of two of God's uh, enemies. So Satan is the third of God's five enemies to be destroyed. Who were the first two? The Antichrist and the false prophet. So the Antichrist and the false prophet are the first two of God's five enemies who will be destroyed. Again, what does it mean for 
enemy of God to be destroyed, it means that that created entity is forever separated from God and placed in the fiery lake that burns with sulfur and brimstone where the entity will be tormented forever and ever. Now let's go back. So that's at the end of the millennial reign. What happened before Satan was thrown into the lake of fire? What happened before he was thrown into the lake of fire? Well, verse 9 says, let's go to verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, he will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. Now, this is very interesting. He refers here to Satan. It says he will go out to deceive the nations. Note that the nations continued to exist. Many of the nations, perhaps most nations that exist at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ will continue. Now, not under the current human government, but under the government of Jesus Christ. These nations will continue as described in uh, Isaiah, Zechariah, and Ezekiel, and also maybe elsewhere in the Bible. So it says, he will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. What does every corner of the earth mean? It means every corner. So if we think about the earth today, that would mean uh, America. That would mean Canada. That would mean, well, um, some people say, well, Nicole, America is in Canada, true. That would include North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia, Australia, Antarctica, okay? So every corner means every corner. What does that mean? That means that, there are going to be millions and millions of people and some large number of people, they will be mortals. These are individuals who did not participate in the first resurrection. Therefore, they still inherited the propensity, uh, or I should say the uh, ability to die. They were born in the image of Adam instead of the image of God. And so they have those DNA errors. Listen, there's a man I'm, I'm reading, I'm following the story of a man who wants to live forever. He's a wealthy guy and he keeps doing these treatments. He's trying to live for at least 150 years. He was doing blood transfusions from his uh, younger son. He's doing all these like different treatments. I believe that the scientists will succeed in figuring out how to extend our life. But going from, let's say, a lifespan of 70 years to 700 years would be amazing and incredible. But what happens when you get to year 700? Friend and truth seeker, don't put your hope in science. Put your hope in God. God is saying, I'm going to give you if you find and follow my plan for salvation, I'm going to give you eternal life. So that's beyond 700 years, beyond 70,000 years, beyond 7 million years. Why would you settle for the mark of the beast, which could perhaps extend your life, 
for, let's say, let's just be conservative. Let's say the mark of the beast could extend your life for 500 years. Why would you settle for 500 years when you could have 5 billion plus years? Why? Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to accept an inferior invitation. So there's the invitation that's soon coming to be a child of Satan. And all the children of Satan will join Satan where? You just heard he's going to the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and brimstone. And we're going to hear in November all who took the mark of the beast as well as all who chose to reject Jesus, so they are by default children of Satan, they're all joining their father where he is. But you ought to join, I believe, the superior decision, the intelligent decision, is to join God the Father on the new earth. You cannot do it unless your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I don't decide these rules. You don't decide these rules. But certainly, certainly we can follow them and reap the rewards. You can follow the rules of God and reap the rewards. Now it says here, what's Satan going to do? He's going to go out and deceive the nations in every corner of the earth. This is very interesting. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army army as numberless as sand along the seashore. Now during the Battle of Armageddon, we learn in the Marriage Supper prophecy, Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21, that 100% of the armies led by the Antichrist experience the first death. They're all killed by the rider of the white horse and the sword that extends from his mouth, 100%. Now, we're about to hear the Antichrist and false prophet, they're already in the lake of fire. But Satan, even though he lost his two key players, so he has two key players, flunkies, the Antichrist and the false prophet. He's already lost his two key players, but he's, he's, he's still pressing on. What does that mean? He's still in his quest to establish his home in Jerusalem, to have his children take the mark, his mark, on their forehead. Why? Because God says, I'm going to establish my forever home in Jerusalem, and I'm going to put on all of my children my mark, which will go on their foreheads. Where is that? Revelation chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 22 about the mark on the forehead. God's mark will go on the forehead of all of his children. So Satan wants the mark of the beast, and God says he's going to establish his forever home in Jerusalem. Where is that? Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, and Revelation 21. So the new earth prophecy, we hear all about that. So Satan wants to do the same thing. He hasn't given up. So the Antichrist and the false prophet fail him. They let him down. They lose. They let him down. But he's pressing on. Now he's assembled a new army. So 
the millions of people in the uh, armies led by the Antichrist and the false prophet, they lost their lives. But who cares about that, right? Satan's like, well, I'll just get a new team. Now, his new team is, is an army, a mighty army, it says, as numberless as sand along the seashore. Now, what does that mean, numberless as sand along the seashore? That's in the millions, maybe the tens or hundreds of millions. So he has uh, a very large army, very large army, and where is he taking them to? You guessed it. They're going back to Jerusalem. Now, for these folks, it will be their first time. You know, it's 2023. You and I probably don't think much about what happened in the year 1023. Why? That was 1,000 years ago. Or 1,024. That was 1,000 years ago. So at the end of the millennial reign, even though 100% of the armies who had this exact same agenda following essentially the exact same leadership plan, even though they will have failed miserably, he is able to persuade these folks. They don't remember more than likely they will not remember what happened a thousand years earlier. So he has them hyped. He has them worked up. He's deceived them. They believe that they're going to take down. Uh, they're going to take down the government of Jesus Christ. They're going to seize the temple in Jerusalem. And they're going to uh, rule the world, you know, like Pinky and the Brain. Satan's like the brain in that cartoon, Pinky and the Brain. Every day, what's he thinking about? How he's going to uh, not only rule this world, which he's already doing, but how he's going to rule it forever and ever, of course, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now, verse 9 says, And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth." and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. So Satan goes at the end of the millennial reign, before he's thrown into the lake of fire, he's with his army, this huge army, and they surround Jerusalem. They surround Jerusalem. So Jerusalem has been uh, living, Jerusalem has existed for a thousand years with no attacks, no battles, no war. But now that Satan is there at the end of this thousand years, he's assembled this army from the nations that at that time have, uh, they're called Gog and Magog, okay? And so they have surrounded Jerusalem. And it says they've surrounded God's people who are God's people, all who are in Christ, all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What happens? It says, but fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. There was no war. There was no battle. Satan was just a liar. He gathered them together for battle. He told, he's going to tell them, we're, we're, we're about to fight and win this war. He's going to get them hyped up, you know, like they're going to the Super Bowl except, they are a losing team, and their uh, their status as the loser is well known to everyone, uh, but perhaps them. Perhaps uh, they don't know. I'm going to guess that they don't know. I don't understand why a person would 
go to certain death. But in any case, there's no battle. He tells them there's going to be a battle, but there's no battle. What happens? They surround Jerusalem at the end of the thousand years. They're ready to attack. They're ready for war. They're ready to take over the world. Now, why do they go to Jerusalem if they want to take over the world? Because Jerusalem is the headquarters for the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God on this present earth? It's the government of God. It's the government of the world at that time and the new world to come. So they want to take down the headquarters for God's new order, the kingdom of God on this present earth. They want to take it over, but it doesn't happen. No, Jesus doesn't even come out. He doesn't dignify. He doesn't dignify this uh, this assault with his presence. He doesn't even come out to face these attackers simply uh, fire comes down from heaven. Supernatural power of God causes fire to come down from heaven, and it says fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. What's them 100%? Just like last time. Just what's last time? The Battle of Armageddon. 100% of the armies are consumed, but at that time they die by the sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. This time he's like, uh, you know, when I say he's like, I'm I'm imagining what Jesus is saying or thinking, which uh, maybe I shouldn't do that. For whatever reason, he does not decide to come out to talk to them, to engage in conversation, discussion, negotiation, none of that. They are consumed. They are assassinated. They are killed. Now, what does it mean for them? What does that mean? So they experience the first death. So they are not destroyed, okay? Again, when any entity experiences the first death, that's not permanent. That's not permanent. Only the second death is permanent. So they are consumed by the fire. Where do they go? Where do they go when they die? So their mortal bodies remain on this present earth, and they are decomposing, right? But as disembodied spirits, they are transported immediately to Hades, where they will wait in a prison of darkness. Wait until what? They'll wait until the, they are they are resurrected. When will they be resurrected? Well, we're going to hear about that in a moment. They're going to be resurrected for the purposes of the great white throne judgment. So those people who die, who die uh, at this event at the end of the millennial reign, um, they will participate in the second resurrection. Obviously, they missed the first resurrection. Okay, now let's back up. Now, before this attack, before this uh, this army of Satan comes to Jerusalem at the end of the thousand years, what happened? Verse 7, so we heard verse 10, 9, 8, now verse 7 of chapter 20. What does it say? When the thousand years comes to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. So we arrived at this 
because at the end of the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ, Satan is let out of the abyss. So Satan has been in a prison that's been locked in the bottomless pit. So this is referred to in the purple and scarlet prophecy. Um, the beast who comes out of the bottomless pit, he's uh, mentioned in the purple and scarlet prophecy. That's prophecy number eight in the book of Revelation. So he's been let out of prison. So it's time to, uh, it's go time. What's go time? Time to go and deceive the nations. Time to go and take over the world. Time to go and take back Jerusalem. But he's never going to take it back, as you just heard. Okay, let's go to verse 6. So what happened before he was let out of prison? Verse 6 says, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Now let's, let's analyze this. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. That's the first part of verse 6. Now it's interesting that the language here is first resurrection. So resurrection is modified with an adjective, first. There's no need to say the first resurrection unless there's at minimum a second. So, okay, we have a gold star there next to the word first. It says, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Now, who shares in the first resurrection? All whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Who's that? That's the wheat. So they're the wheat in the tares. The wheat participate in the first resurrection. There are the sheep and the goat. The sheep, or the sheep, I should say, they're the sheep and the goats. The sheep participate in the first resurrection. They are the good fish and the bad fish. The good fish are kept, the bad fish are thrown out. The good fish are those who participate in the first resurrection. There are those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So let's say it this way. Who participates in the first resurrection? This group of people, this language describes the same group. The individuals who participate in the first resurrection are those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who are among the sheep, who are a part of the wheat, who comprise uh, that batch of fish known as the good fish. And it says, bless and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power. Now what's the second death? The second death is permanent, and that's when a person is forever separated from God. We call that eternal damnation. Forever separated, being forever separated from one's creator is eternal damnation. Now why is it that those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life 
that the second death has no power over them because every person who participates in the first resurrection has eternal life, not eternal damnation. So there are only two trajectories for all human beings. There are only two trajectories. After the end of the world, the end of the world is coming. After the end of the world, there's a bifurcation. There's a bifurcation. So the path splits into two. Right now, the wheat and the tares are growing up together, but not for all time. At the end of time, at the end of the world, there's a bifurcation that happens. Some number, some percentage, the Bible tells us it's a relatively small percentage, unfortunately. Some number of individuals, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life begin to travel the path of eternal life. In other words, we will transition to living in our perfected bodies on a perfected earth, a new earth, and that will be forever and ever. Concurrent, concurrent with those individuals who are experiencing eternal life on the new earth will be those individuals who are experiencing eternal damnation in the lake of fire. All who are children of God inherit eternal life. All who are children of Satan inherit eternal damnation. So, When it says here in verse 6 of chapter 20 in this millennial reign prophecy, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power. Every person who is a child of God will never, ever go to the lake of fire. We're going to the new earth, not the lake of fire. Then it also says, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. Now God the Father is moving his home from present heaven to the new earth. But it's not until Jesus destroys all five of God's enemies. Now, hear, O Israel, the Lord the Lord thy God is one. God the Father gave himself a human form. So Jesus Christ is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. God manifest in the flesh is Jesus Christ. So, What does it mean right here in verse 6? They will be priests of God and of Christ. So we will be priests of God the Father and priests of Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Son of God, and will reign with him a thousand years. It says, and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. So we're ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ for the entire millennial reign. So right now, you might be working as a nurse, as a teacher, a stay-at-home dad, a stay-at-home mom, a volunteer. Uh, Maybe you're taking a break from work. Maybe you're retired. Whatever you are doing is the role that you have right now. Every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life will have 
a reigning role in the millennial reign. In other words, an appointed position, a leadership position. Now let's go to verse 5. Now what happened before this? Verse 5 says, this is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Oh, look at that. This is the first resurrection. So we have that phrase again. It appeared before verse 6. In verse 5 it says, this is the first resurrection. And here's the most important phrase the or sentence. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. What does this mean? The rest of the dead do come back to life again. So even though a significant percentage, the majority of human beings will fail, unfortunately, they will fail to participate in the first resurrection, but they will participate in the second resurrection. When does that happen? The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. That means that the second resurrection happens after the end of the millennial reign. So after Satan is destroyed, after all of the armies of Satan, after Satan's army is destroyed, um, I'm sorry, after Satan's army is consumed, so they experience the first death, Satan is destroyed, every entity, but let's focus on human beings, every human being who has ever existed but failed to participate in the first resurrection will be resurrected again. Now, in November, we're going to hear the dead judged prophecy. So after they're resurrected, what happens? That's the dead judged prophecy. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to uh, verses eleven to 15. Now, here in the millennial reign prophecy, in verse 5, again, it says, the rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. That proves that there is another resurrection and that the dead simply do not die. The first death is temporary. Only the second death is permanent. That's why it says over and over again in the Bible, when somebody's died, and sometimes Jesus says, oh, he's just sleeping. Oh, she's just sleeping. Lazarus has died, and Jesus says, oh, he's just sleeping. Uh, the the one guy says, my daughter, she's died. Can you help? And Jesus goes there, and they say, oh, it's too late. She's already died. And Jesus says, oh, she's just sleeping. Okay, so if you have, if you are, if you are on your way to death, if you were on your way to death, would you would you note that you will have perfect continuity of life? In other words, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, you will have no break in your soul, mind, will, and emotions. You will have no break with your spirit. The only break is in habitation of a physical body. So instead of being three in one right now, 
You're three in one, body, spirit, and soul. I'm three in one, body, spirit, and soul. But immediately, should you or I die tonight, this week, or next year, there will be no break in continuity of life except continuity of life will continue two-in-one rather than three-in-one. But the three-in-one, the three-in-one is restored with the first resurrection. Friend, truth seeker, that's why you want to transition to Team Jesus. You want to participate in the first resurrection because you want to transition to your peak performance body. You want to put it on. You haven't run your fastest mile. You haven't hit your best home run. You haven't written your best song. You haven't danced your best number. Why not? You say, well, Nicole, how do you know that? If you are in Christ, You haven't put on your peak performance body yet. When you put on your peak performance body, you'll have your peak performance brain, your peak performance body. You'll never, ever have mental torment again. You'll never, ever have physical distress or physical pain again. You'll never, ever age again. What do we mean by age? You'll never experience the reality of deterioration. In your physical person, you will only experience acceleration. Deterioration is a part of the curse. Acceleration is God's perfect plan for you and me. Now, I got to ask you a hard question. Are you scheduled for the first resurrection or the second resurrection? If your answer is, I don't know, that means it's the second resurrection. More than likely, more than likely, the first resurrection will include only those individuals whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, only those individuals who have been to mediation. In First Timothy, it says Jesus Christ is the only mediator between man and God the Father. God has a case against everyone who has sinned. Why? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means that even though even though we inherited the propensity to sin, so in that case you might say, well, it's not my fault. You know, I got this. I don't want to sin, but I sin anyway. You know, that's the theme of the New Testament. I don't want to sin, but I sin anyway. That's why we need a mediator because, we need to have payment for that sin debt. So in Acts 2.38, it explains how to get your sin debt paid for, how to go to mediation and get God's case against you in good standing so that you don't participate in the second resurrection so that you will participate necessarily in the first resurrection. Now, If you say, well, I am interested in immortality, if you say, you know what, I do believe that it's possible to have DNA that's 100% error-free, it is possible. We're not going to achieve it through science. I love science. I'm a trained research scientist. 
I conduct studies to this day. I love science. But science is not going to transition you or me to immortality. It's not going to happen. How do we know that? We know that from the documentaries here in the book of Revelation. We need the blood of Jesus Christ in order to transition from mortality to immortality. That's a fact. Now, what about... What about verse 4? Verse 4 has a lot in it. We're working our way from the end to the beginning of the millennial reign. Verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands, they all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. What are the three take-home points for verse, from verse 4? Uh, one of the three take-home points from Revelation 20, verse 4, is this. The first resurrection is post-tribulation. A second take-home point is those who lose their lives during the Great Tribulation will participate in the first resurrection along with others. Take home point number three, the reason that individuals will lose their lives during the Great Tribulation is because they refuse to take the mark of the beast on their foreheads refuse to take the mark of the beast on their hands, and refuse to worship the beast and his statue. This is a very important scripture. In my opinion, one of the most significant verses in the book of Revelation is Revelation 20, verse 4, because it is the verse that confirms without a doubt any person who is serious about allowing the word of God to inform his or her thinking will see that John the Revelator made it very clear for us that the first resurrection is post-tribulation. What does that mean? It means that Christians, we will be here during the great tribulation. Now think about this. The great tribulation is a time of tribulation for who? It's a time of tribulation for Christians, not those who are team Satan, but for those who are team Jesus. So if you if you think twice, as one, you know, I hear one preacher, he always talks about thinking twice. <laughs> um, but if you think about it, Satan is there to oppress who? Those who are team Jesus. Jesus is coming to oppress who? Those who are team Satan. So the great tribulation is a time of uh, tribulation for those who are team Jesus, and the great tribulation is the wrath of Satan. But the wrath of God, the seven final plagues, which happens afterwards, the wrath of God is a time of great tribulation for who? Those who are team Satan. Okay. Okay. So don't hang up. Don't turn the internet off if you say, uh, research scientist, I am I am a pre tribulation person because I heard Pastor So and so or 
you know, my dad told me I'm not against Pastor so-and-so. I'm certainly not against your dad or uh, you or anyone. But I am for the Bible. I am for the truth. Now, none of us has it 100% right. So there are things that I'll know next year that I don't know this year. But let's be clear. Revelation 20, verse 4, gives us a secret. It unlocks the secret about the timing of the Great Tribulation. It confirms that the Great Tribulation is a time, a period of time during which Christians will be here and that the first resurrection is post-tribulation. Now let's go to verse 3. What it, what did it say before this? Verse 3 of Revelation 20, we're in the millennial reign prophecy. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations any more until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Now, this is telling us what's happening at the beginning of the millennial reign. As you can see, Satan's ability to deceive the nations of the earth is not continuous. It's dependent on his location. So at the beginning of the millennial reign, we're told here in verse 3, the angel threw him into the bottomless pit. Satan Satan is taken down by a peer. What does that mean? So Satan is an angel, but another angel, one of his peers, but not a fallen angel, right? So there's uh, there are angels of God, and then there are fallen angels. So one of the angels who is not a fallen angel, a peer of Satan, takes him down. I was watching yesterday uh, UFC Usman versus another person. So, you know, looking at that with my mom to see who's going to take who out, each was trying to dominate the the altercation that they were in. So Satan is in an altercation with his peer, and he loses says, the angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. So an angel throws Satan into a bottomless pit. Where is that? That's below the earth. The angel locks it up. That means that Satan is confined to that physical location. He's confined to that physical location. How do we know? It says, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. And as we already heard, at the end of the thousand years, he's released. He's released from this prison. But at the beginning of the millennial reign, he's placed into this prison. What is it? It's the bottomless pit. It says, afterward, uh, he must be released for a little while. I'm calling it a prison. It doesn't refer to it as a prison here. Uh, I'm calling it a prison because it's locked, but it just refers to it as the bottomless pit. Okay, what happened before that? Verse 2, he seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. So Satan is taken out by a peer. They get into an altercation. 
And in order to subdue him, he's put in chains. And it says he's going to be in these chains not for a day, not for five minutes, but for a thousand years. thousand years. So he's in chains. He's subdued. He's confined. He's in prison. But he's not destroyed at the beginning of the millennial reign, right? He's constrained, subdued, confined, imprisoned. Now let's go to verse 1, the very beginning. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. So after the battle of Armageddon is fought and won, the first thing John the Revelator is shown in the next documentary is, okay, the Antichrist and the false prophet are taken out. That's the end of documentary number nine. The Antichrist and the false prophet are destroyed, and all of the mortals, uh, all of the people in the armies, they are killed. That's the end of documentary number nine, the marriage supper prophecy. The beginning of documentary number 10, the millennial reign prophecy, picks up with what? You guessed it. How are we going to finish these enemies of God? And you might say, Research scientists, you're obsessed with the enemies of God. I am obsessed with talking about the enemies of God because God is obsessed with taking out his enemies. Why? So he can relocate his home from present heaven to the new earth. Can't happen until all five of God's enemies are destroyed by Jesus Christ. The Antichrist and false prophet are destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, first things first, we're going into the millennial reign. Jesus Christ is here. At the beginning of the millennial reign, Satan is subdued. He, the plan is for him to be taken out, in other words, to be destroyed at the end of the thousand years. Okay, so he, the, the plan to destroy him is implemented. It is in place at the beginning of the millennial reign, but it's, Implementation is not complete until the end of the thousand years. Now, you might say, if I was God, I'd just take him out right away. Well, maybe I would too. I think probably I would too, but neither of us is God. We've got to get on board with what God is saying and doing, and we must understand that God is smarter than me. I think you know that, but God is smarter than you too. I'm hoping you are aware of that. Okay, so we have heard all ten verses of the Millennial Reign Prophecy today. We are going to continue with discussion and analysis of the Millennial Reign Prophecy on Thursday and next Sunday. In November, we're going to be talking about the second resurrection and the great white throne judgment. That's in the dead judge prophecy. Are you curious? I'm a curious type person. I think that's why I became a research scientist. I'm very, very curious. Uh, Maybe you're curious, too. Do you want to know all of the people who died and didn't participate, who will not participate in the first resurrection, what happens to them? John the Revelator was shown exactly what happens to them. We're going to be talking about it. We're going to read so that we can see what he saw, what he was shown about the second resurrection. Now, that's happening in November. 
every Sunday and Thursday in November, we'll be talking about the dead judge prophecy. And, of course, in the glorious month of December, we'll be talking about what happens after the end of the world. You know what it is, the new earth, eternal life where on a new earth. What happens on the new earth? There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more mourning, no more tears, no more death. Hallelujah. So I hope that this has been an interesting discussion for you. I'm praying right now um, over you, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. It says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. For the time is near. Friend and truth seeker, I want to thank you for listening to the message of the book of Revelation, to listening to the millennial reign prophecy. As you just heard, these prophecies are soon to come to pass. I declare and decree that you are blessed according to the word of God. And if you haven't done so yet, according to Jeremiah 33.3, I encourage you, to call out to God because he promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know. Until next time, friend and truth seeker.